Again, we're in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, wrapping up this week, we're looking at verses 17 through 32. And last week, we, we looked at the first part of Ephesians 4. And we looked at the importance of being a un- that we were united together by one God for the work of the ministry. That this is what you do together. Now Paul's saying this is, this is what you do individually in the midst of that unity. And one of the things I noted, the difference between the first three chapters and chapters four through six is that there's kind of a shift in Paul's focus because chapters one through three, he focused on what we have in Christ and who we are in Christ. But now in these last three chapters, Paul is focusing on how we are to walk in Christ. Paul uses the term walk very often in his letters to, to communicate, here's how you should live as followers of Christ. And so now in this, in this second half of chapter 4 in verses 17 through 32, Paul really continues to describe the sort of walk that we are called to. That really for us, our sentence and what we see in here is that we are a new self created in Christ to walk in truth and holiness. Not created in ourselves, because there's a big difference there, but we are a new self created in Christ to walk in truth and holiness. And I think the reality is we long for newness and for transformation. I know I'm always thinking about uh, upgrading, trading in, and selling off something for something newer, something better, something bigger. And I think sometimes we get into this mentality on our own accord, and, and we hope for something better. We're inspired by, and we're almost challenged by those before and after stories. I've shared with you before, I really like Googling things. After Googling before and after in Google image search, I'm no longer going to Google things on Google image search. There's just some weird things of before and after that people feel they should share. But I think we're encouraged by this in some ways. We're challenged by this in some ways of the before and afters of people's uh, image of themselves. Here's how I was before. Here's how I am now of, of people's houses, of people's possessions. Here's how things were before. Here's how things are now. And we get sucked into this idea of better self. See, there's a difference between a new self in Christ and a better self, because we live in a world where everybody wants to change. Maybe not in the way where we need to change, but in a way where everybody wants some change one way or another. So there's self-help, there's self-improvement, there's self-actualization, there's self-esteem, there's magazines, books, trends, talk shows, and counseling. These are all the ways of, of some of the areas you can change. And we're constantly pulled towards moving towards a hope that the future ahead of us will have in store for us a greater satisfaction than what we're experiencing right now. Everything may be fine, nothing's chaotic, nothing's wrong, but we're going, man, what could be before me potentially is a greater satisfaction than what I'm experiencing right now. So if our hope and our future isn't fully rooted in Christ, then we're moving towards trying to make a better version of ourselves, Not a new self, but a better version of ourself. So it's not satisfaction in Christ, it's satisfaction in ourself. It's attempting to satisfy the flesh. And I think because we long for newness, sometimes we try to fix this problem of being without, being without a fullness of life, of newness, by trying to better ourselves. Not a new self, but us bettering ourselves. So then the default position there of everyone, when they feel unsatisfied, uneasy, undone, is let me better myself. Let me fix myself. Let me make myself into something physically better that could appear new. 
And so because a better version of us is what we seek, the reality is this really isn't a solution. This really isn't the way to resolve the dissatisfaction that we feel. But what we do is we set out to create this better version of ourselves. And this is where we see a lot of quick fixes in our culture. We see a lot of options to buy now and pay later. The, the instant gratification, the new car, that, that, that we have this belief that in this new car, this is always gonna be this way. All those bad behaviors of me trying to better myself are not gonna influence this car, but they completely do. And we see examples from the new you through books and ads. I mean, there are even books that are titled Six Minute Abs for Dummies. There are ways to better yourself physically that isn't really pursuing a new self at all. And so when that doesn't work, when it doesn't work to better ourselves, we try to mock up the appearance of bettering by pursuing a a new, better me in a relationship. So we get into toxic, unhealthy relationships, toxic, unhealthy environments, sometimes walking out of healthy relationships, sometimes walking out of healthy environments, thinking if I pursue this future and this hope, this will go better for me, a better me. And so then what we really do is we make those people and those environments and those relationships our God. We make them our everything, but we make crummy gods. And so this doesn't work. And so this is the problem, that you and I will never be able to make a better version of ourselves. You and I can't do it. It's impossible. And if you feel a lack of of dissatisfaction right now, which I I think in a way is, is a gift from God, a better version of you will never satisfy. If you try to add something and make your life better, it's not gonna work. And in fact, after you trying to make the better version of you, you'll be just as disappointed as you were before. In that sexier version of you, in that smarter or more bold version of you, that more rich version of you, you're gonna be just as unsatisfied because it's empty. The things of this world are meaningless. And so what we need is not a bettering of ourselves. What Paul is gonna talk about is a new self entirely, not defined by what you can do, but what Christ has done in you. Because you can change things you do but only Jesus can change who you are. You can change things you do, but only Jesus can change who you are. And once he changes who you are, that changes what you do. Once he changes who you are, that changes what you do. And so as we read in the last part of Ephesians 4, Paul's gonna talk about the real new you, not a better you, the real new you in Christ and how that identity then really helps define our activity. And so Paul's gonna open in verse 17, talking about the new life. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness." Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. 
Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may be given, that may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And so here, Paul really says, listen, this isn't a a better you. In fact, the version of you that you've been trying to pursue is the old you. And that's not going to work. Even if you try to make it better in different ways, what we are is a new self in Christ. And Paul tells us in verse 24 to put on the new self. And this means throwing off our old self defined by us and taking up a new self defined by Christ. We cannot take up a new self if we're still hanging on to our old self. There is no room for both. And so in the first few verses of our text, Paul really lists several things that the Gentiles were doing who were walking in the old self apart from Christ. Talked about the futility of their minds the darkened darkened in their understanding, that they were alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that was in them, the hardness of heart, the callous, given themselves to sensuality and greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So he's just not saying they're, they're kind of thinking about how to practice every kind of impurity, but they're actually greedy for it. So here, this is no Hallmark card verse. Paul's not just saying, hey, here's a couple things, guys, that I think you really might need to not do. He's basically saying, he's opening up the card, and the first thing out of the gate is, listen, that old way, that's really stupid. Don't do that. That is not what a life in Christ looks like. And so really, he's not, he's not trying to be harsh. He's not trying to really hammer home this view that you're bad, but he's saying the old you is no good. And so the point that Paul is making is that this is what your life consisted of before Christ. The old self is not with Christ. The old self is before Christ. But now that you are in Christ, your life should look different. Now with our life in Christ, we are a new self, and it should look different. Because when we choose to follow Jesus, it's removing our own thinking. It's really in submission to him where we're laying down what we believe how we live, how we think, what we do. So it's a new identity, a new living, a new behavior, which means if there's anything in our life that doesn't align with him, it's not saying, God, could you just align with me on this? It's submitting to him and saying, I laid down my way. So it's a dying to ourself for life in Christ. So it's no longer my stance, my way, my approach. It is just Christ. It's not you and and Christ. The new self is Christ in you. Paul says this in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And in these verses, Paul was explaining his old self and his new self. The difference between this 
So it's no longer I who live. It's no longer my method, my way. It's Christ's way. It's Christ's leading. And these two differences are drastic. At least they should be in our lives. And I think these two differences play out in in a really specific way by, by the answer of what we're defined by. Is it Christ or culture? Because Christ, in that identity, in the new self, Christ says, I do as the Father tells me. Culture says, I do what feels best for me. Christ says, I came to serve. I'm here to serve. Culture says, I'm going to go wherever I feel served. Christ says, follow me. Culture says, follow your heart. Follow whatever you feel is right. And Christ says, what can I do? What can I do? This is the Christian view. The culture then says, what can I get? The consumeristic view. So Christ says, what can I do? Culture says, what can I get? See, we need to be very careful and very clear about the way we do life, about the way that we live and define it as in Christ, because we're called to be different than the rest of the world. We're called to look different. And in this new self here, we're we're not talking about a a new self defined by self-help or self-improvement or the self-actualization, where it's the same old you with some new techniques to try and manage the problems in your life. It's not what we're talking about. Here, we're talking about a totally, completely, thoroughly new you, born again in Christ. So it's, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's a daily dying to ourself, putting off that old way and, and picking up Christ, picking up that new way. So this is a radical transformation. I mean, think about it. Maybe for you in your own story, how life was like before Christ and how life is like now with Christ. There were some things that probably looked pretty different. There were some things that probably you looked at and over time went, this is not what, how, how Christ lived. This is not how Christ would, have call, would call me to live. And so some things begin to change where there was a radical transformation. And I believe when our hearts are transformed truly by the gospel, we begin to walk and love like Christ. It begins to change us from the inside out, which really causes us to see others and move towards others like Christ does. It causes us to see them different because that new self that we're created in is in Christ. So we are a new self, not created in our own method, not in a bettering of ourself, but a new self created in Christ. So our old self may explain us, it may explain some of the things of our past, but our new self, our new identity defines us. So Paul says earlier in verse 20 that the old life was not the way you learned Christ. He says, listen, this is not the way you learned Christ. All of these things that are earthly, this is not how you learned Christ. And when he says this, there's more than information here. There's transformation. Because to learn Christ was not just a head knowledge, it was a heart transformation. So to learn Christ, it was to enter into relationship with him. It was personal. To learn Christ was to embrace him as king, as Lord and God. To learn Christ is is to receive him as Savior, and to learn Christ is to accept him in such a way that the knowledge of him would penetrate our hearts and penetrate our minds to the point where his heart 
becomes our heart, where his desires become our desires and his will becomes our will. And so Christ, uh, in this new life, Christ is the perfect example for us for how to live. And the deeper we walk in relationship with him, the more we grow in him. The deeper we walk in relationship with him, the more we grow in him. And in verses 25 through 29, Paul lists some of the major issues that needed to be put away and how that then looks different because the old man, the old us, is alone, separated from Christ. And that looks different than how Christ approaches these things. And so Paul talks about lying in verse 25, that the old man thinks really nothing of lying. He thinks nothing of the way he communicates, but the new man puts away lying and in its place speaks truth to his neighbor. He speaks truth about these things, especially to those as members of the body of Christ. And I think for some of us, we go, well, I'm not a liar. I don't, I don't lie. But I think, I think out of that thinking, you're a liar. Because I think there's some areas where we fabricate the truth without even intending to. Whether it be a story of something positive, whether it be something negative that we need to own. Someone says, hey, we need to talk about this. And here's what needs to be acknowledged. acknowledged. And you're going, well, you know, I just kind of, this is what I did. And said, you're fabricating the truth. Or if someone, you're communicating with someone and you begin to tell a greater story than what the truth is. You're lying. There are ways in which we lie and I think we don't even realize it. And so there's a difference between how the old us would approach it and how the new us would approach it. Because the new man is based in Christ. And then Paul talks about anger in verse 26 and 27. And this is probably one of my favorite and least favorite at the same time verses in this passage um, because it's, it's very misunderstood where, where the old man gets angry and lets it linger and just get out of control, that, that anger leading to sin. But the new man may get angry, but it does not linger. It, it does not prompt <laughs> sinful behavior. And one of the truths is that when, when people get angry, that's not sin, that's an emotion. What you do with that anger can lead to sin. So there's a difference there. There's a difference in our approach because we see in the Gospels, Jesus got angry, but it was without sin. Jesus got angry. He got angry that his father's house was being used for people's own pleasures. And so he ran through there with a whip, just getting them out of there, saying, this is not the intention of God's place. But think about who God, who Christ in the flesh, who Christ called out. Think about this for a moment. When he got angry, he didn't get, get angry with those broken and struggling and trying to pursue him. He got angry with those who were self-righteous and thinking they were better, who were using God's place of worship to better their own pleasures, to further their own desires. So Jesus is a perfect example because he judges rightly. Because he gets angry rightly. And so Paul says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not sin. Don't let this linger in you. Do not let this fester to a point of being sinful. And then in verse 28, Paul talks about stealing. That the old man is not only willing to steal, he does it as his own profession, as his own way of living. 
He steals without thinking twice of how that affects others. I think there's many ways that we steal, not just, not just physical things, but things we steal away. I think our, our problem sometimes when we think about the old, the old us and the, the old self and the new self that is in Christ is the old self is separated and segregated, but the new self is joined together. And so Paul really says here, where the, where the old self segregated and separated, he may think that that affects no one. The new man not only stops stealing because he, he sees that this affects others around him, but he works so that he can help others now. He no longer is, is about a consumeristic mindset of, I'm just going to take however it works best for me, but how can I give? It's a new thinking. And then Paul talks in verse 29 about corrupt communication, that the old man doesn't worry or care about what comes out of his mouth. But the new man not only avoids corrupt communication, but seeks to speak that which is uplifting to those who hear. Think about how different it would be if we were focused more about building up than breaking down. All of the ways of which we are earthly judgmental. All of the ways of how we critique one another in our minds rather than love one another with our lives. Think about how different that could be if we were focused more on building up than breaking down. Paul says, listen, don't let this unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Don't let these things define you. Let Christ define you that you may speak love and genuine truth to one another. Now, there are times where where there are some things in truth that need to be spoken and they may sound harsh, but the question is, does it build up? So does this need to be said by me? Is this something that God is speaking through me to speak honestly to this person? Not in a group of friends. Hey, by the way, we need to call out something. We need to have an an intervention in this circle right now. Not, Not ignorance in corrupt communication, but truthful communication for building up. Think about how different that would be if we were building each other up in love rather than breaking each other down. So we are a new self created in Christ. These are the examples that we have of Christ, how he approaches these things differently and how from that we are then to walk in truth and holiness. In the second half of verse 24, we see that we are to walk in this new self that's created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul really uses the imagery of clothing to describe the life change believers have experienced in Christ. He, he really changes this. He, he gives us this idea of changing our clothing. The believers are a new creation. And this results in, in not only changed virtues, but an entirely new way of life. And think about the importance of where Paul is putting righteousness and holiness, where he's putting those two. He's putting those two at the end of the sentence. So he first talks about being a new self, created in the likeness of God, and then pursuing true righteousness and holiness. This is relational. See, religion usually starts there. You should be righteous. You should be holy. Stop doing this. Start doing that. And from that, we kind of feel guilty and go, man, I'm not good enough. But where Paul is clearly starting here is here's who you were, here's who you are now, and here's what Christ is doing. And so he's saying this is not an empty religion. This is true religion. This is good and genuine religion in Christ, that it's relational. 
It's a result of a deep relationship with Jesus. And he says it's like changing your clothes. Put off the old self. Put on the new self in Christ. This is what the process of holiness is like. Where we are constantly taking off what is not holy, what is not of God. Not to be more perfect, but to be more obedient. Not not so that we can look more perfect, but so that we can more faithfully and obediently follow Jesus. And Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 through 16, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, of your old self. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. So are you choosing your old self or your new self in Christ? Are you, are, are you continuing to live in your old self or are you choosing a new self in Christ? Let, let's just consider some questions here for a moment in, in the sake of that, of choosing the new self in Christ. Because if we've been if we have chosen the new self in Christ, then then we've been set free and rejoice in that freedom. And we see others in light of that freedom. But let's talk about your heart. Are you angry? Are you jealous? Do you have a hidden agenda? Do you let these things fester in in place of Christ? And is your identity set in Christ? Is it rooted in Christ? Or, or are, you, are you, for yourself, an expert on all things wrong and all things right? Do you have to be the smartest in the room, the best in the room, the loudest in the room, the most skilled in the room? Do you constantly feel like you have to point out the weaknesses of others, the weaknesses of institutions, the weaknesses of work, the weaknesses of the church, the weaknesses of home, and the weaknesses of your own neighborhood? See, an identity rooted in Christ changes how you see the world. An identity rooted in Christ is rooted in the new self, not in the old self, not in the ways of the flesh, but in the ways of the Spirit. And this is why Paul says in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed. So the question I have for you that is incredibly personal to me is are you grieving the Holy Spirit by the way you are living and the way you are treating others? Are you grieving the Holy Spirit by bitterness, by rage, by anger, harsh words, slander, evil behavior? See, this question is really personal to me because of how I grieved the Holy Spirit. Um, I asked my father if I could share this story because the relationship I have with my dad is incredibly, has been incredibly transformed by Jesus. There's no other method of how it could be so transformed other than by Jesus. Because growing up, my parents loved us. My parents did everything they could for us. And as two broken people, they brought their brokenness in and their old self into their marriage relationship and, and mom, when things would get hard, mom would try to hide the truth and speak a better truth to kind of fabricate that and keep all the sin and all the ugliness hidden 
And dad, when he would struggle, would drink. And he was a closet alcoholic. And finally, when I was about 15 years old, when my dad was in his dream job as the Everett Gospel uh, uh, chaplain at the Everett Gospel Mission, he was the chaplain there. And when another man wanted his job, he worked, he worked very hard to write a different story of who my dad was. Hurt him deeply. My parents didn't go to church for several years after because they didn't believe they could trust anybody in the church because of how badly they were hurt. And my dad leaned into a nine-to-five job of, of working uh, road construction and, and after f- falling into a 10-foot ditch onto a steel plate, messing up his back, feeling like his purpose is wrecked, God's done with him, he leaned more into the bottle and more into pills. And at age 15, I remember my mom coming to me and, and telling the truth finally and saying, your dad's not on a couple-week trip. Your dad's been gone for a month, and I have no idea where he is. And we lived with that for another two months. And with that, that shifted a whole new way for me to live, not for the good. But from that, I remember finding my dad in a sleazy motel in Everett and driving him back illegally as a 15-year-old boy while he was hammered drunk. And from that moment, I chose in my heart, I hate you, and I want nothing to do with you. Now, I didn't continue on with that feeling, but I still fought it. And so I moved out. Shortly after my 16th birthday, I moved out, couch surfed, and lived on my own since 16. And with that, I wanted nothing to do with my family. I didn't want to be called a a lawler. I didn't want to do that. And whenever I hung out with my dad, I spoke harshly and maybe three words to him. The three words that I would utter would be very harsh. And I remember prepping to teach out of Ephesians 4. And I remember coming across verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. And I just felt such a powerful, intense heaviness of grief. And I felt like the Holy Spirit just pressed on my heart and said, this is what you're doing to me by your bitterness and your anger. And I fell to the ground and I wept because I realized I held against my father an old life. I was not loving to him. I was not forgiving. I was not letting go. I was holding on to bitterness and it was killing me and it was grieving the Holy Spirit. And so I just laid there on the floor weeping and just repenting because that was not me walking in the new life. That was me dabbling in the new life with holding on to the old life. See, just as much as, as your sin that is your own personal sin uh, of your old life is an issue for you to hold on to, also it is an issue for you to hold on to the sin that is against another. And so I remember just repenting of this and feeling a freedom. And I remember after days of processing and praying, I invited my dad over to my house. As a 21-year-old man, I invited my dad over to my house. And I did not say, here's what you've done against me. I did not say, here's what you should have done better. I did not say, here's how you did wrong. I said, will you forgive me? will you forgive me? 
Only God through Christ can bring us into a new life. But it takes putting off the old life, the old self, and receiving Christ in us. That being our new identity and that being our new self. And so for me, over, over that following six years, it took my dad and I a lot of work, a lot of work to build that relationship together more. It took him still more times of struggling with drinking and, and going into recovery. But it began not with his transformation, but mine. Me letting go of what I was holding on to. And so what are you holding on to that is grieving the Holy Spirit? What are you holding on to that is keeping you from walking fully in a new life that is in Christ? Because I almost can guarantee it's not holding that person back that you're bitter against. It's, it's not holding them back, it's holding you back. So how are you grieving the Holy Spirit? See, when I taught this message the first time, there was a young man in the room who had an estranged relationship from his father. And I totally forgot to share this last service. And so you get to be special in that regard. But I just shared this honestly. As my dad has allowed me to share and shared openly the details that him and I agree are appropriate for me to share. And I think when we submit our story to God, he can use it far better than we could ever comprehend. Because this kid who grew up Catholic walked into an environment of me teaching about this and began to ask, who is God? Man, I've grieved this Holy Spirit of who I know nothing about. And you know this guy, because this is Steve, Steve Ariano, who helps here at church. I did not give a traditional gospel presentation. I spoke very clearly on grieving the Holy Spirit, of walking in the new life. And so when we hold on to these things, they keep us from walking in the new life, from God using our story for his glory. And so ask that, what, what are you holding on to that's grieving the Holy Spirit? See, God is calling us into a new life in Christ where we walk in truth and holiness, where we're putting off everything, not of him, where we're putting off those things, the, the bitterness, the rage, the anger, the harsh words, putting off all those things that grieve the Holy Spirit to receive him fully and be fully received by him in the new life. Let's pray.